0: Valley Bible Church to see you this morning how's everyone <coughs> and great good I think after that song we need to pray shall we father we do indeed cry out that you are worthy And this morning there is no one else that we can turn to for you have the words of eternal life Thank you for sending your son, the eternal word, who was in the beginning with you, and he was and is God, and he became one of us to identify with our weaknesses, with our very sin, to take upon himself that which has caused our death, that he would die and we would live. We are incredibly thankful for this great exchange that you have given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord and we thank you that he will reign forever and we come this morning to worship the king the one who came as a babe the one who came and lived and died and the one who is coming back riding on a war horse to set up his kingdom forever so we ask father your blessings and your uh, encouragement and the teaching of your holy spirit as we look into your word as we continue in john's gospel this morning all these things we pray for your glory in the name of our great god and our savior jesus christ amen all right we're in the gospel of john and we're in this section which is the passion of christ week after week we see um the story unfolding and it's not a very positive story at this point it's a uh, It's difficult to to read about and to think about, but it is what what happened. It is uh, the the story of our redemption. This is the hour that Christ came for. So this morning, our text is John chapter 18, verses 33 through 40, and I invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles, and would you please stand with me? We would like to read God's Word, and we believe that um, it is uh, inspired, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction and training in righteousness. So would you please give attention to the reading of God's word, John chapter 18, verses 33 through 40, the word of God. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born... And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. How many of you remember the Broadway play in the movie, The King and I? Remember that? The King and I was based upon a book called Anna and the King of Siam, uh, from true memoirs of a woman by the name of Anna Leon Lynn Owens. And uh, she was a British governess who went to work for the um, king of Siam. And her memoirs are the story of her getting to know this king over a long period of time. And, of course, Broadway and uh, Hollywood played up the romantic side of this. But 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 just think for a moment, if you were introduced to a king and were to live in the palace of this king, and over a period of maybe years or even decades got to know this king, wouldn't that be worthy of a book almost to to talk about, you know, I got to know this king of this nation, and so thus the king and I. The king that we're talking about this morning is the king of kings and the lord of lords. As I thought about the king and I, I thought about the king and I. Uh, He's my king, but do I know about the king, what do I do with the king? We should all ask that of ourselves, the king and I, you, I, what do I do with the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Do I believe in him? Do I trust him? Do I treasure him as he so deserves? So John's gospel begins to focus on the kingship of Jesus Christ, and that what takes place in our story this morning and next week as well. Jesus as uh, the king of the Jews. So what kind of king is he? Who is this king and why did he come? And those are the things that are answered in our passage this morning. So I want us to look at verses 33 through 36 as the king and this idea of the king is is introduced. And the king's kingdom is otherworldly. That's what we're going to see. As you saw, as you heard, as we read the text, Jesus is not of this world. His kingdom is otherworldly. And by that, I want to state right up front, and we'll, we'll get to it later, he is not going to just say that his kingdom is spiritual and Caesar's kingdom is earthly or physical. We want to be sure that we avoid the very idea of dualism, Dualism is the idea that uh, the physical world is basically evil and the spiritual world is good. You hear that in in church sometimes. God isn't worried about the physical. He's worried about the spiritual. No, that's not right. He is worried about both. Your physical body is redeemed and it will be raised from the dead. He worries and he cares about all that you do in this physical body. He he worries about and cares about your finances, your parenting, where you live, how you take care of your belongings. His kingdom is otherworldly in the sense that it is heavenly. So we want to avoid just uh, spiritual versus physical, and we'll get to that later. So remember the story so far. Um, the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate, and they won't go into the praetorium lest they defile themselves uh, coming in contact with a Gentile. And Pilate comes out to them and says, uh, what charges do you bring against this man? And they say, oh, he's bad. He's bad, 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 bad. Well, how bad is he? Oh, just trust us. He's bad. And his response is, okay, you want me to trust you? I trust you to just go judge him yourself and do with him what you want to do. And that's when they say, well, you see, we can't kill anybody because we don't have the power to do that. And then, as John said, this was to fulfill the words of Jesus about the kind of death that he was going to die, crucifixion on a cross. So at that point, Pilate walks away from them. And he comes back, verse 33, therefore, Pilate, he didn't get an answer for them from them, so he's going to go straight to the horse's mouth. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? That wasn't the topic of conversation with the religious leaders. And so we're not exactly sure why he answers the asks this question at this point. But he does. And Jesus response in verse 34 is, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? In other words, Is this a personal question? Do you want to know personally about me being the king of the Jews, or are you just repeating what everybody has been saying about me? Um, We know that they wanted to put him to death because of blasphemy, that he called himself the son of God, but he also admitted to being the king, the Messiah. Uh, Pilate would not have understood that or cared about it too much, but Jesus wants to know how how to answer Pilate. And and notice what Jesus does. He turns it around, and he takes control of the situation. Pilate is the interrogator, right? Jesus is the prisoner with the the light shining on him. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns it around. He flips the script. He controls the conversation, and he turns the table on Pilate, and he asks him a question rather than answering uh, uh, directly. He's in control, Pilate's not in control. He's in control, the Jews are not in control. Jesus is in control. So if the question is personal, Jesus can help him with that. Then Jesus needs to clarify. But if it's just about whether he's the king or not, Jesus wants to make it clear that he's not just a political leader for the Jews, and he's not, he's the king of the Jews, but the Jews were looking for a political messiah. Nor is he a political king that would be any kind of a threat to Caesar. He's not that kind of a leader. And that's why Jesus wants to know exactly what it is he's saying. Verse 35, Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Did Jesus hit a nerve here? I think he did. Never mind, we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. You're the one who's been delivered over by the nation. And by the, the chief priests, what is it that you did? And I think this is the original question that Pilate came into the praetorium when he, when he brought Jesus to him. The original question was going to be, what did you do? Because he asked the, the religious leaders, what did he do? And they said, well, we can't really tell you because it's too, it's too bad. So he's, he's going to Jesus, and he, he originally wants to ask him, what did you do but I think when, when Jesus comes in, remember, he's bound. And remember this, or know this, if you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's already been through a trial with Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin, and he's been beat up, beat about the face and the head. They struck him, it says, over and over again. You can imagine the sight that he is. He probably has blood running down his face. He might have a, a black eye, the swollen shut. He might have a um, a fat lip. And he's a pitiful sight, bound. And Pilate comes in and he says, You are the king of the Jews? You? This pitiful sight that I see before me? So instead of coming in and saying, What have you done? He's probably struck with the, the sight before him. And he asks that question, You are the king of the Jews? And that's where Jesus says, why do you want to know? You asking for a friend? What's going on here? And he hits a nerve with him. I am not a Jew. Why would I care whether for, for anything about the Jewish laws or customs or kingdom? I don't care whatsoever about any of these things. But your nation handed you over. These Jewish leaders handed you over. You're standing before me bloodied and bound. What did you do to cause such a stir? What are you guilty of? Jesus doesn't directly answer that. Instead of answering the question, what did you do? He goes back to the original question. Are you the king of the Jews? And this is the way he answers it in verse 36. Yes. With the, the, with the words, my kingdom, right there, he is saying that he is a king. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Notice how he begins the statement and how he ends the statement. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this realm. And there's this assumption here that Jesus could have, if he had a different kind of kingdom in view, he could have stopped all this. Because the question is, why were you handed over in this state before me? And Jesus said, I could have stopped it if this were a different kind of kingdom. But his kingdom is otherworldly. My kingdom is not of this world his kingdom is from another place, not of this world. And at the end of the sentence, when he says, my kingdom is not of this realm, literally it is, my kingdom is not from here. I'm not from around here. He's not from around there. He is sent from heaven. He's otherworldly. Yes, spiritually, but also a king who will rule and reign forever forever. Therefore, this kingdom does not come by rebellion, but it comes by God's power. Its source is is not human. The source of his kingdom is divine. And the messianic kingdom comes through the Son of God who conquers sin and death, and he conquers sin and death in our lives that we might become his subjects of his kingdom. And indeed, we are if we believe in him. And we must not and cannot put our trust and our hope in earthly kingdoms, and yet we oftentimes do. So some lessons to begin with here. Christ's kingdom does not come through military might, political means, democratic elections, any other human power. Kings, presidents, governors, whatever you want to fill in the blank. No other power on this earth. His power is otherworldly. So we should not put our trust in the outcome of elections. We should not put our hope in a president or a governor or a state representative They're there. We need to make use of them. Yes, we're stewards of this freedom that have been given to us. But our ultimate hope is never and should not ever be in those things because, you know why? They will let you down. Have they let you down? Yes, they've let you down. They will always let you down. People will always let you down. One of Mike Powell's quotes that I heard long ago. People will always let you down. Yes, I've let you down, I'm sure, at times. He will never let you down, for he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we should never put our trust in him. Second lesson, you are a citizen of his kingdom. Do you believe in Christ? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Are you a child of God? Is he your king of all kings? Is he your Lord of all lords? Then you are a citizen of his kingdom. Colossians 1.13, an exciting verse. For he rescued us. What does it mean to be rescued? You can't help yourself. Dire circumstances where you can't do anything for yourself. And he rescued us from the domain of darkness, the realm of this world the realm of the devil, of Satan, if you will. This world is dark and dead. And he rescues us because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Amen to that. From here to there. From death to life. And what is it, how does it happen? In whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. It is through our redemption, it is through the forgiveness of our sins that we are transferred from there to here, where we are now. And that is something that is praiseworthy, and that is something to remember. That's how we live our lives. Paul says also in Philippians 3, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior. That doesn't mean that we're just... Uh, In heaven, waiting for some spiritual kingdom. Notice what he says. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. We're waiting For the resurrection from the dead, just as he was raised from the dead, we're not raised to some wispy spiritual existence in the netherworld. No. We will be raised in literal physical bodies and live forever with him. It's otherworldly. It's not of this world. It's totally different. And the third lesson is that Christ's rule is now And forever. And that's how we live. That's how we live. Christ actively rules in the world right now from heaven, yes. But he will one day rule physically and literally on this earth. And that rule will be forever. Revelation 26. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. He will set up a millennial kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years. And then at the end of all things, Revelation 11:15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. He takes it all under his lordship and of his Christ, and he will reign for how long? Forever and ever, a thousand years and beyond. That's what we have to look forward to, not four more years or three more years of a president and then another president after that or whatever it may be. That's all short term. That's nothing. Forever and ever. And that is where our hope lies Christ is coming to solve all the malaise of this world, all the malaise of your life, whether it's your illness, whether it's your family problems, whether it's your propensity to sin, whether it's your depression, whatever it may be, Christ is coming to resolve all of that that we find in ourselves because he is the Ancient of Days. He is the Lord Sabaoth the Lord of hosts, yes, he could have called his army from heaven and they wouldn't have arrested him, but no, he's, he's got other priorities at this point, and the priority he has at this moment is our redemption. But that's who he is, coming to rule and reign forever and ever. So, the king's kingdom is otherworldly. In verses 37 and 38, we see the king's message is truth. And he says he comes in an otherworldly fashion, but he has a very specific message, and the message is truth. This is his mission, to declare truth, to be a testimony to the truth. But it's not just truth as in terms of factoids, meaning to be factually correct about things. But he is the truth that brings life. He's truth that brings out life. Yes, we're losing the the battle against objective reality in our world, and that's another matter of epistemology, if you will. But here, the truth that he's speaking of is the truth that leads to eternal life. In verse 36, he had uh, described the kingdom in a negative way, I am not of this world, I am not from here. And now he describes it positively in verse 37. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this, this, this is quite a statement. This is a, a purpose purpose statement of Jesus' life in John's gospel. For this I have been born, to be a king and also And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And then he adds, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus gives the, the very purpose of his birth and his kingdom. For this I have been born. This is the very purpose. In John's gospel, we don't have a birth narrative, do we? And think about Matthew and Luke, for instance, the deal with the, the genealogy of Matthew, the genealogy of I mean, genealogy of Joseph, and the genealogy of Mary. And you have the story, the birth narrative in, in 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 Matthew, when the angel comes and he talks to 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 Joseph and then, 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 then Jesus is born in Bethlehem. You have the story in, in Luke of, of Elizabeth and Zacharias and the annunciation of Mary and, and going to Bethlehem and all this long, these long birth narrative. John doesn't have that. You know what John's birth narrative is? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Pretty simple. Jesus has said he's a king, and now he's, in a sense, I think he's, he's given and giving an invitation even to Pilate here, those who hear my voice. Jesus said to him, um, uh, here's what I want to look at, truth at a glance, okay, truth at a glance. Jesus' birth narrative is, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, I came to testify of the truth. And he came by by becoming flesh. Once again, we see how the the prologue of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, basically tells us almost everything that we need to know in John's gospel, because everything else just fleshes it out. For instance, we saw in John chapter 1, verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the creator of of, of Pilate. He's the creator of of the the chief priests. He's the creator of the nation of Israel. He's the creator of all things. He created the world. He came into the world, and those in the world, Pilate and all those on the Gentile side, they did not receive him. He came to his own, the Jewish Jewish leaders and the Jewish nation, and they did not receive him, but as many of us received him, if you believe in him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So truth at a, at a glance, one fourteen, John chapter four, verse twenty-three. Remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Just takes us through this this idea of truth through John's gospel very very quickly. He said to her, "But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit." And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The only way we can worship him, the only way we can come to him is through the truth of who he is, the truth of, of what he has said about himself. In John fourteen, six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Truth, truth, truth. There are many other passages in John's Gospel that highlight this idea of truth, but these three verses show us this thread that runs to this point so that Jesus says, for this reason I was born to testify about the truth. What is the truth? He is the truth. What is the truth? His words are truth. What is the truth? The Father of truth. The word of truth that sanctifies us. The spirit of truth that he gives to us. The message of the Logos, the divine word of God. He is the truth. Back to verse 37 in our text, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Note that Jesus did not say everyone who hears my voice will receive the truth. He says everyone who hears my voice is of the truth. These are those who are spiritually attentive and perceptive. These are those who are chosen. These are the ones who have ears to hear. And when they hear the voice, they have this ability to hear the voice of Jesus and to respond to it. And Pilate's answer in verse 38 is this. What is truth? We don't know what he meant by this. Uh, many scholars over the years have tried to divine what Pilate was thinking. You know, was a sarcasm? What is truth? Or was he wistfully thinking, well, what is truth? If I could only. Who knows? What's clear is that he doesn't know the truth, right? That part we know. And who does know the truth? We do. The reader of John at this point knows exactly what 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 Pilate is all about. He's missing it because the truth is right in front of his face. Jesus doesn't answer at this point because Pilate walks away. But if Jesus were to answer Pilate at this moment, what would he say? If Pilate said, "What is truth?", how would Jesus answer that question? I am. I am truth, I am he, or just the words, I am. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he would have said, I am the truth. And when he says, those who are of the truth hear my voice, in a sense he's throwing out a lifelong line to Pilate, to this king who is secular, who is a Gentile, was dancing with the other devils. and it's an invitation to him. Pilate doesn't see it. He can't hear. He doesn't hear what Jesus is saying. He doesn't have the ability to understand. Pilate did not hear his voice. Why? Because Pilate was not of the truth. Very simple. So lessons for us. Jesus' message, excuse me, Jesus' mission is his message. His mission was to come to be the truth that we come to him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. His mission was for us to come to the Father through him because he is the truth. And so his mission is his message, truth that gives life. That's his message. That's his mission. He is the truth who gives life. Secondly, you can be right about a lot of things and still miss the voice of God. You can be right about a lot of stuff in your life. You can be an expert in your field. You can be right about a lot of philosophy, about mathematics, about a lot of theology. You can be right about what it is you do for a living, whatever your craft is, whether it's law or education or welding or whatever it is. You can be right about a lot of those things and miss the voice of God. So it's not just about factoids, truth as fact. It's about the person of truth. John 5:24. truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is talking here, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life, and does not and will not come into judgment because you have passed out of death into life, the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Why? Because you heard his word, because you believed in the one who sent him. So you have eternal life. John 10:27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Believer, did you hear his voice? Or are you hearing his voice for the first time this morning? Do you hear his voice in these words? He who hears my word and believes in me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I call to my sheep. Are you one of his sheep? Will you respond? Do you believe that he gives eternal life to you this morning? or has given that to you as a Christian, never, ever take that for granted. Don't miss his voice. Because it's not just a call for once. He calls us to continually follow him and to continually hear his voice. Not just the call of salvation, but the call of discipleship every single day to follow him. That's the call on our lives of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It can be no other call. And that's his call in our life. So the king's kingdom is otherworldly. The king's message is truth. And in verses 38b through 40, the king's cup is rejection. His cup is his lot, of course. It's the hour that he is facing. He's facing suffering. He's facing rejection. But it is all through substitution. Here we get into the idea of the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that he was a sin sacrifice as a substitute for us. We are the ones who are guilty. He is the one who dies in our place. The guilty one goes free. The innocent one dies. That's the great and wonderful exchange and the good news of the gospel. His cup is rejection tough for him at this point, but life for us. Second part of verse 38, and when he had said this, that is Pilate, he went out again to the Jews. In other words, he doesn't wait for an answer from Jesus. He asks the question, what is truth? Walks away goes out he's going back and forth between Jesus and Pilate he goes out to them and he gives a pronouncement and his pronouncement is having asked you and inquired of you what are the charges against him having talked to Jesus and asked him what is it you have done this is my pronouncement i find no guilt in him i find no guilt in him pilate announces that jesus is without guilt His judgment so far is that I find no guilt. Whatever he thought of Jesus' kingdom or this realm, his claim to truth, he did not see it as something worthy of death. He didn't see it as a threat to to Caesar and the kingdom of God. He saw, he didn't see anything. He just saw a bruised and bloodied man who he didn't understand and feared. We'll see next week. Verse 39, ever the politician, remember, he's a governor. You know what he should have done at this point? You know what he could have done at this point? I find no guilt in him, turned and walked away. He's walked away from them once. He walked away from Jesus. He could have walked away from them and just released Jesus. But by this time, it appears that a crowd has been gathering. And ever the politician, let's just throw them a bone to make sure things don't get out of hand here. You have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? See, that's a dig. He had to say that, and just made it worse. And they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. No, not Jesus. They would not call him the king of the Jews. And we'll see how next week how Pilate continues to just dig with that phrase. And notice how John ends this portion very simply. Now Barabbas was a robber. That's all he says. Barabbas was a robber. This is all we need to know at this point. Jesus is charged with being an evildoer, unspecified, by the Jewish leaders. Pilate finds this not to be true, and he suggests that they they just set him free. But the Jews want an evildoer set free, that the innocent man will be killed. Mark and Luke and the book of Acts all call Barabbas a murderer, an insurrectionist. Think about this for a moment. Barabbas had probably already stood before Pilate. Barabbas was sentenced to death there was a cross being made at that moment or already fabricated that Barabbas was going to to bear up on Calvary. There was a cross that Barabbas was going to be crucified on. In fact, his execution was scheduled for that very day, and he was somewhere in a prison. could probably hear the crowds roaring, having no idea what was going on. A specific cross reserved for Barabbas that would be exchanged for Jesus. Interestingly, the name Barabbas is Bar Abba. Bar Abba. Bar means, it's the Aramaic, but the same is very similar to Hebrew. Bar means son. Abba means father. Abba, Abba. Son of a father. In fact, some think that his full name was. Iesus bar Abba, Jesus, son of a father. This son of a father is going to be exchanged for the son of God. An evil one for a righteous one. A robber, a murderer for a holy and righteous one. As we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who made he who knew no sin, he made him to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the great exchange. This is the substitutionary atonement. He knew no sin. He lived a sinless life. He was guilty of nothing. Even, Even Pilate recognized he wasn't guilty. And yet they want a robber, a murderer, an insurrectionist to die on a cross and to be let free instead of having Jesus die on a cross. Excuse me. Jesus became sin for us. Every sin you ever committed, every sin you ever will commit, Jesus was punished for on the cross for you. Why? That you might become his righteousness because you heard his voice because you believed in him because he is the way the truth and the life and you came to him and you now know the father and you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son and that's what we have in christ his cup that he drank was one of rejection that we might be accepted So, back to the king and I. What will you do with the king? What have you done with the king? I think about that. I have gotten to know the king over many years. I guess I could write memoirs about the king and I. We all could. But what we believe about Jesus Christ is the central question of our lives what you believe about Jesus Christ is the central question of your life. Not what classes you will take, what sports you will play, what hobbies you will indulge in, what profession you will seek, what college you go to, whom you will marry, how many kids you will have, all important questions, yes. But not the question that determines your destiny. The king and I, what will you do with Jesus? And what do we do with him? Love him. Serve him. Worship him. Glorify him. And it's up to us to testify of his truth. He came to testify of truth and he left us in his place to do the same. Testify of his truth. As we go to the Lord's table, I want to ask you a question. With whom do you identify in this story? As we've told the story of Jesus' passion so far, with whom do you identify? Do you identify with Peter who denied him? Do you identify with the Jewish leaders and their hypocrisy? I would say yes to both for me, for you, as well. Do you identify with Pilate who squandered the opportunity of a life we squander opportunities too? Or do we identify with Barabbas, the guilty one who goes free, deserving of death, yet an innocent one dies in his place? You see the words from the great hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, as you consider the bread And the cup, the truth, the life that we come to the Father through him, this represents his very life on earth, everything from beginning to end. From his birth narrative to his coming back, we declare his death until he comes again riding on a horse. But the great words of this hymn, What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with favor and grant to me thy grace. Father, we thank you for the Son of God who drank a cup of suffering, And as we take this bread and this cup this morning together, we declare our unity with one another. But our communion with the Savior, Lord, who came and lived and died and rose again and is coming for us. We drink a cup which represents his cup of suffering. But we're grateful for what it has achieved, that we were made the righteousness of Christ in him. We're grateful And we're grateful in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me.